Hey, welcome back to Awakening Midweek. So thrilled that you're joining us and tuning in and that you've stuck with us through a few of the technical internet problems that we've had. Uh, The entire internet here in this building went down, and so we're uh, making it work. And Reed, who's just put countless hours uh, in for us, has done that. And so, one, just give him a huge shout out and our whole tech production team for that. Um, Here's what we want to do with our Awakening Midweek. We want it to be uh, in this crazy corona season, uh, just a connection point in the middle of the week for us to gather together as a community. It's so fun to be able to chat and to connect and see one another virtually in that way. Uh, We want to get into God's Word. We're going to do a Bible study together. So this isn't a sermon. It's a devotional. It's a Bible study. And so here's what I want you to do. Get your Bible out and ready. In fact, I'll give you where we're going right now so you can be ready in a minute. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, And then if you can go ahead and get your journal out with you, and we're going to take some notes and just dive into God's Word, be encouraged by what He has for us together. And then for many, you're going to dive into your groups, and you're going to hop on a Zoom uh, call with your groups and begin to discuss and go a little bit deeper. Uh, I was so encouraged by our time last week as we talked about um, how do you really pray. And so we're going to build on that. And I want to talk about something in my life that has changed the way I pray. In fact, this passage is an area that transformed the way I fundamentally pray. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But before we dive into that, there's a few things that I do want to talk about, uh, just kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, One is Easter's happening. I know that for most of us, we're so caught up into this season that we don't even know what day it is, right? I mean, it's just, it's been a whirlwind and we just feel shell-shocked. And so, but the reality is, is in two and a half weeks, we're celebrating the very biggest event in human history. See, the biggest event in human history isn't corona that has shaked our world. The biggest event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus that shaked the world, and we're still living in the aftershock of that. And even though we're not able to gather together uh, like physically, we're going to celebrate big together digitally. And so would you join us? Would you share and post and invite people? In fact, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer actually three broadcast times for our Easter service. So our regular 9.30, 11.15, and then we're adding an extra one, uh, one o'clock for our Easter broadcast. And I'm really excited because I believe in the midst of all this, we're actually going to be able to reach more people on Easter than we would be able to fit into our services in a cafeteria at Del Mar. In fact, all the numbers of the people that we're reaching right now uh, is showing that that's in fact the case. And so would you pray for this, pray towards this uh, as we get ready to celebrate Easter? Now, one of the things that we're doing is just two days before Easter is Good Friday. And so we're going to hold a Good Friday service, or really, better yet, it's a Good Friday experience. It's one of those moments for us to pause and reflect on the cross. In fact, the thing that's been reverberating in my mind is that the cross is greater than Corona, and we need to be reminded of that. 
And for us to really celebrate the beauty and the power of Easter, we first need to sit in the reality of Good Friday. And so Good Friday service on April 10th, we're going to have at seven o'clock, you can tune in and be ready to encounter afresh the, the, the power of the cross and what God has for us. Uh, and so those are two things I want you to know that's coming up that I've asked you to share with people around you. Uh, the other thing is something that began today called If My People. It's a movement of churches uniting together uh, in prayer and fasting. And I know for some, you are with me. You fasted today with me. And for others, you uh, maybe didn't get the news and that's okay. Uh, would you join us? Every single Wednesday, we're going to fast our breakfast, we're going to fast our lunch, and we're going to pray. In fact, earlier today, Kirsten, who leads our prayer team, led a Awakening Church Zoom prayer meeting, and it was awesome. It was just 30 minutes on Wednesday where we got to log on and see different people and pray together. Would you join that? Would you pray with us? Because here's the thing that's going to move uh, the 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 dial when it comes to corona. What's going to move it is not just having better science or social distancing. What we need is a movement of God. And see, we believe wherever prayer focuses, the power of God falls. That's that James 5.16 passage where it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when we gather together and pray, God moves. And here's what's awesome about If My People is it is not just us. Actually, over 30 churches now are on board with it with us together. So when we pray and fast on Wednesday, we're not just joining awakening, you know, uh, hundreds of people. We're joining thousands of people in the Bay Area across the Bay from, you know, Hayward and Fremont to Santa Cruz to the peninsula and all around. And so would you join us with that? You've seen some of the posting. And if you'd hashtag it, if my people Bay Area, that would be awesome. All right. So uh, this evening, uh, the title of our time, I'm calling In the Middle of the Storm. And it's really uh, in the middle of a storm where the disciples encountered Jesus. And it was in the middle of my own storm when I learned just a fresh way to pray. In fact, this text was in the time of one of the hardest ministry seasons of my life. I remember it, it was actually near the beginning of awakening. Um, we had started awakening with all these, you know, just fresh vision, excitement, and launched out. We actually launched two Sunday evening services, and we're running, and it's fun and exciting. And about the year and a half marker, we looked up and was like, you know what? We don't have a church. We just have a ministry that we replanted from Westgate Church. And the ministry is great, but we went set out to plant a church that awakens this generation to new life. And so then we began to think about and wrestle, well, if we're really going to do that, okay, we actually got a launch on Sunday morning. And we went through this season of transition in the early days of awakening. And personally, I experienced some things that just were so painful. 
One, we transitioned from Sunday evening to Sunday night. We actually watched people, hundreds of people leave Awakening. That was so hard because they went to other churches and they came to Sunday evening services uh, to hang out and see other college young adults. Uh, And then I was really wounded by a few key people in my life. One of them was a mentor of mine. One of them was just a close friend and ministry partner and just was deeply wounded. And so we had this season uh, of really being broken. We were burned out and we were bruised emotionally. It was over that summer. uh, This would be, you know, six, almost six years ago that Jenny and I weren't sure if we could keep going. It was over that summer where we weren't sure if awakening would survive. And we were teaching through the book of Mark, and along the way we came to this story in the middle of the storm, and I was in the middle of the storm. Awakening was in the middle of the storm. It felt like we weren't actually going to make it. And as a result, through all this, actually for Jenny and I, our marriage was just really struggling as well. And I came to this passage and God opened my eyes and it really transformed the way I pray and have prayed ever since. And so if you got your Bibles, and I already asked you to get them, so I hope you have them. Uh, open to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And we'll pick it up and we're just going to sit in the text and just talk about it a little bit. It says, that day when evening came, He, this is Jesus, said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Uh, Mark actually makes this textual marker saying that day. He he actually, because he's so fast-paced in his gospel, is it always immediately, 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 uh, that you don't really see these day like markers. And he says that day, like this was a big day. There was something about that day. In fact, Jesus uh, just finished one of his longest like teaching marathons. The crowds are just pressing in. Uh, His popularity in the area has just skyrocketed. So many people are gathering around him that he's he's actually pushed out into the lake uh, of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee to be able to talk there. And so he's at the end of an extremely intense, demanding, people-oriented ministry season. That day, he's exhausted. That day, He's worn out. That day, he gave it all that he had. And so he says to them, he says, let us go over to the other side. Now, you got to think about this from the disciples' perspective because all of a sudden, they're hanging out with Jesus and they're rock stars, you know? I mean, everybody's following them. And they're seeing thousands of people flock to hear him and to be healed by him. And then Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. And I got to tell you, I think those are words that the disciples didn't want to hear. Over to the other side, the Decapolis, over to the other side where it's essentially the wrong side. It's more Gentile oriented. It's, it, it's just the wrong side. We shouldn't be going over here. We should be leaning in here. And he says this, then so they're like, okay, you know what? We're going to go with you. I mean, you are Jesus. In fact, you're the boss, so let's go. And he says in verse 36, leaving the crowd behind. Now notice this. They took him along just as he was, just as he was worn out, just as he was 
just, just had given it all. I think we sometimes miss that Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. He's, he's both. And so in his human state, he had given out. He was tired. He was exhausted. And so in, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now notice this. There, there was also other boats with him. So it wasn't just like the disciples on their own. There, there were some other boats that began to follow along with them. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves uh, broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The Sea of Galilee is about um, eight feet wide and about 11 feet long. It's, I think it's maybe, I can't get this right. I think it's 68 feet below sea level. So it's below sea level and it's got mountains that are surrounding it above it. And so what happens in the Sea of Galilee is you get this clash of warm air and cold air from the mountains. And, and it's notorious for having these massive storms that hit uh, in a moment's notice. And so it's, it's evening, it's in the middle of the night. They're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. These are professional fishermen who are at, at the, uh, you know, in charge of the ship. And this furious wave breaks up. They're caught in the middle of a storm. And so many of us are caught in the middle of a storm. In fact, our world is caught in the middle of a storm, isn't it? And what's interesting is as our world has been caught in the middle of the storm, it's actually created all these personal storms for us, hasn't it? Like the uh, shelter in place has created for many uh, relational storm. Maybe it's with your spouse and you're now in close quarters and some of the things that are being pulled to the front, some of the issues that you're able to push down with busyness and, and you know, just all the activity and stuff going on has now given a, a strange silence that's now struggling. Maybe you're caught in the middle of the storm of loneliness because of social di distancing, because you're not with people. I just have friends who are extroverts who are going crazy because of this moment. But you're just feeling so lonely and hurting. Maybe you're caught in the middle of a storm of anxiety. And you already struggled with it beforehand, and now this is only amped up, and you just check the news incessantly, and you're just wrestling with it. I, I mean, I think there's just so many areas where we're starting to be caught personally in the middle of the storm. Maybe it's sorrow. Maybe it's uncertainty. Maybe it's with your job. What do you do when you're caught in the middle of the storm? All of a sudden, a furious squall came up. One day, didn't it seem like all was well, and then in an instant, it all became hell. This is where the disciples are at. This is where we're at. What does God have for us when we're in the middle of the storm? It says, so that they were nearly swamped, it is desperate. And now it gets to the heart of the issue. 
It says Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And I think if we're honest, that's how many of us feel about God right now. That's how many of us feel like where God's at. Like, God, where are you? what in the world is going on? Are you kidding me? Like, we're caught in the middle of the storm and it feels like you're so far away. We're caught in the middle of the storm and it feels like you're asleep. You're, you're unconcerned. What in the world is going on? That's certainly how the disciples felt. Sleeping. And so the disciples woke him up and said this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I, I think that's the question we ask in the middle of storms, isn't it? God, don't you care? Because your actions feel like they're saying you don't care. Like if you really cared, the way this would happen is the storm would come up and you'd go like, guys, I got this. Guys, I'm good. Hang on. Storm stilled. Peace. You know what? I got this. And yet the reality is, and where we're at and where you're at in the middle of your storm is it feels like God's asleep and you're wondering, does he even care about you? And so, he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. What's so cool about that line there is the way it's, the wording in the Greek here is the same way a father would talk to a child. Like when Jesus got up to speak to the wind and the waves, he, he rebuked it the same way a father rebukes a small child. Not really thrown by the storm. And in this moment, something powerful is happening for the disciples. You see, the sea among the ancient cultures was this, you know, considered this uncontrollable evil. There's a place of chaos and evil that only God can control. And the disciples in their panic and wonder whether God even cares wake Jesus up. And he says, quiet, be still. And then it says this, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Just immediate peace. When there was once waves, now it is just glass. And then he looks at his disciples and says, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, growing up, I always wrestled with that line because I think the disciples' reactions seem pretty normal to me. Like Jesus, they're in a boat you're asleep, and it looks like they're going to die. I mean, why do you have to be so hard on them? Like, why are you still afraid? And then, actually, uh, I think even a better translation than do you still have no faith is, 
Where is your faith? And I always wondered, I'm like, well, why did Jesus say that? What was going on in the moment where he then invites the disciples into something that's deeper? Now, one of the things that I missed so much when I read this passage was what Jesus said at the very beginning. At the very beginning, when they were heading off, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. See, it was a statement that it's not just me heading to the other side. All of us are headed to the other side. And if Jesus said it, then you can count on it. He he didn't say, let us go to the other side in calm waters. He didn't say there will not be storms along the way. But what he did say, and we have to get clear on this of what he did say. What he did say is we're going to go to the other side. And so you don't have to be afraid. See, the question, where is your faith, is so powerful, especially in the middle of storms, because our perspective gets skewed, right, by storms. Our perspective, all of a sudden, we begin to focus on the wind and the waves and and all the issues hitting us and all the demands and all the crises and and, and all the, the stuff that we're going through. And it becomes all the things that we see. And what happens is the storm becomes bigger than our God. And he says, where is your faith? See, this Sunday we're going to talk about God is bigger. Because what we need as a church, what we need as a country is to move our eyes off of the storm and get our eyes focused on the bigness of the God. The God who calms storms. See, I think for some, you're wondering about that word faith and you're like, I don't have strong faith, Ryan. I don't have, you know, this bold faith. And what's fascinating about faith is it's not so much the strength of your faith, but the object of it. See, it's what you're putting your trust in, not just how strong your faith is. See, where is your faith? See, I'm fully confident that when I put, sit down on this couch, that it will hold me. But it has... Little to do with my confidence of this holding me and more to do with the strength and the structure of this couch. See, where is your faith? Is your faith in your portfolio? Is your faith in the economy rebounding? Is your faith in a a cure for the virus? So you say, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Didn't I say... We're going to the other side. I remember Howard Hendricks saying this one time. He said, don't question in the darkness what God has clearly shown you in the light. Like there's something for us as believers that we need to get into God's word and what he said and what he promised and and begin to go, okay, when you say it, 
It is true and it will happen no matter what storms we face. And so I'm going to anchor my life in that. And it might be dark, it might be stormy, it might be hard, but I'm trusting that you, God, got us into this and you're going to see us through it. Let us go over to the other side. Then it goes on. And it says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In this moment, the disciples shifted their gaze. And when they looked at Jesus, they no longer thought of him as just a good teacher. They no longer thought of him as just a prophet. And even in their idea of Messiah, the Messiah wasn't necessarily in their mind going to be God with us. It was a political leader, a king. See, when they asked that question, who is this? When they saw Jesus, they knew the answer. Only God controls the wind. Only God can control the wave. And so when he speaks and the wind and the waves obey him, the presence of Jesus in the boats is the very presence of God. You see, I'd rather be in the middle of a storm with Jesus in the boat than being on the shore and everything going okay without Jesus around. See, I I want Jesus in the boat with me. See, I think when we think about Jesus and we, we tend to interpret in the middle of our storms the same way the disciples interpreted it. Don't you care? See, I just wonder in the middle of your storm, what would it look like if you began to take your cues from Jesus instead of the storm? You see, Jesus asleep in the middle of the boat The disciples interpreted that he was apathetic, that he didn't care. No, no, no. Jesus was at peace. And so in the middle of the storm, I can be at peace because the presence of God is with me. And if God is at peace in the middle of the storm and he's with me, then I can be at peace too. What would it look like this week for you to begin to take your cues from God? rather than the storm, from Jesus, rather than the corona craze around you, where you began to fix your eyes on him and go, you're in control, you're sovereign, your word is true and trustworthy, and so I'm going to take my cues from you. Well, some of you are wondering, you're like, Ryan, you said this is a passage that taught you about prayer. You haven't talked on prayer at all. Let me tell you, when I read this, it was coming out of that season where um, that summer, we're, we were just made it through the summer. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to like continue leading Awakening, whether it would survive. In fact, I remember uh, one time as a part of this kind of spiritual soul care thing, and I was um, running up a hill. And I, I enjoy running, but this hill was just straight up. And it was straight up for a long time. 
And, I, and when I run, I have worship music on and I'm praying. And this time I, my prayer turned into yelling and just like frustration with God. And this hill just felt like it was never ending. And I, maybe you've been here and you've had this kind of moment before. And I'm just like, God, this is what life feels like right now. Like I'm in the middle of this storm with awakening and you called us into this. Like we followed you into this storm. And I feel like it's just been uphill the whole way and there's no top in sight and I'm tired and I can't go on any longer. You know, in the middle of your storm, God can handle all of you. You can bring all of you to him. You don't, you don't have to edit it. And I talked about it last week a bit. The psalmist gives us stri- such great instruction how to bring our honest hearts before him and then what psalms helps us do so wonderfully is then refocus our eyes on jesus well as i taught this passage that fall i saw something in this text that i'd never seen before what i saw or what i noticed and you've probably noticed this and so it's probably not new was that the disciples didn't wake up Jesus to calm the storm. Because when he did, they were freaked out. They were, it says, terrified, scared to death. Well, why did the disciples wake Jesus up then? Here's my guess. My guess is the disciples woke up Jesus to bell water. You had 12 guys in a boat, bell and water. There's one asleep on the cushion. They're being overwhelmed by the waves and they need somebody else to help. Bell water. And here's the aha that I had. Where in my life have I been asking God to bell water when he wants to calm storms? Where in the middle of my life am I asking for little things that just like, hey, I just need this little help when he wants to actually change the landscape. And so I began praying what I felt like were uh, uh, storm calming prayers. Like I would pray things before this, like God, just would you help me get through? Would you help me just make it? And that's not bad, by the way, for some... in moments, that's just all we can pray. But I began to pray like felt really hurt and wounded by someone and are needed, you know, a key staff member. The weight and the burden of everything on us, it just was too much. And so I began to pray and said, God, would you just help us fill this spot, fill this spot? We need somebody. I began praying this, God, would you build a kingdom dream team? Like, I believe our vision is so important and that God has called us to awaken this generation to new life, both here and around the world. Would you begin to build a kingdom dream team to accomplish that work? Here was what's cool. Is what was amazing is, as I began to pray that, I got introduced through my wife, uh, from her mentor, to a guy named Steve Saccone. And Steve Saccone, many of you know, he came and spoke as we... I just asked him to be a consultant for me. I write up this job description. And as we began to meet a few different times, God knit our hearts together in such a wonderful way. And in that moment, God brought Steve Saccone, and we have a protege program because of him, because he literally wrote the book on it, 
to come be at awakening. And God used him in such a powerful way of healing in my own heart and life. And he began to build a kingdom dream team. And I can just look at all the different team members around, both staff and volunteer, where Jenny and I, we talk about this all the time. We're blown away. We're blown away by um, the quality of people that God's brought to awakening. Uh, when in the early days, everything happened in our house. And so, like, literally, we have box trucks that we back everything into. They're just sitting in a parking lot right now. But, and so we'd do these organizations, you know, and we'd drive them to our house, roll everything out. My neighbors thought we were moving, you know. It happened so many times. They're like, you guys are moving? Don't move. I'm grateful they didn't want us to move. But we were so worn out and burned out because everything happened in our house. Our office, my garage was turned into storage and uh, is where our staff meetings happened. And we just couldn't do it anymore. Pray, God, would you, would you provide a place where we could do ministry? This was the biggest prayer I could pray at the time. And I love when he begins to answer those prayers, your prayers get bigger and bigger, by the way, because you trust that God's bigger and he can answer bigger than you could ever dream. And, and he you know, provided an office space and Dwell opened up their space for us where we could do ministry and office out of. And one of the things I forgot, you know, and I'd prayed specifically like we need a place where we can park our trucks and office and do mid-sized gatherings. And he answered all that. And then I forgot to pray about furniture. We didn't even have money for furniture. And I get a call from a buddy. Well, he wasn't a buddy then, but he was soon to be growing a buddy. He's like, hey, I'm closing down my San Francisco office. Do you happen to have any use for furniture? And here I was, I was literally standing in the middle of an empty room, having no idea how we we're going to afford furniture. I said, well, yeah, we literally just got an office space. And so me and Marshall Sandoval and Josh Uzada, we hopped in a, a 26-footer truck and drew, drove to San Francisco. That's a whole nother story for another time. Wild adventure trying to drive that downtown San Francisco. And we had this furniture and when you came into our office, it looked like we bought it for that space. Like the God who wants to calm storms, not just bellwater. In the early days, it was looking at the finances. And, uh, you know, we were behind by quite a bit. Uh, at that time, it just was, I think it was about 30 or 40,000. Uh, and I was like, I don't know how financially we're going to do this. And we're a church of mainly young adults uh, at the time, still are today. And God, would you provide? And I mean, I've been on my knees for finances for our church so many times. Like, God, would you provide? I mean, we don't want to just eat by and I don't know what that looks like. And I remember getting another phone call and a guy going, hey, I have a gift I want to give to the church. And you know, I was so young in ministry, I had no idea about it, like what that was. And the biggest gift I could imagine anyone giving, like this is where I was at, um, was like $10,000. So I thought like, wow, maybe he's going to hand a check for $10,000. And hand, get this envelope and remember opening it up. And it was for $67,000. Friends, we're in the middle of a storm. And you have a God who's actually at peace in the middle of the storm. So would you take your cues from him, not the storm? And you have a God 
who wants to calm the storms in your life, not just bellwaters. And so would you begin to pray bold, audacious, calm, storm-calming prayers. You see, when we started Awakening Church, I had this, like I said, I wanted to lead Awakening from my knees. In those first two years, that was more a nice idea. After going through that season and that storm, man, that became the bedrock of our church. Like we're going to lead from our knees and we're going to trust the God who's in control. And this is the season for us awakening church to lean in and pray. And for some, you need to pray for your marriage. You need to pray because your addiction is out of control in this social distancing. your, Your anxiety, discouragement, depression, your anger, your loneliness, your future. We're going to take a minute in just a second and go back to our groups. And what I'm going to ask is for those that are in their groups that you would have a moment where you get really real. What is the storm in your life? We all know the global storm. What is the storm in your life? Would you get real about that? And for some, there's some secret storms that nobody knows about and it's killing you. James would say, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. There's power in confession. There's power in saying out loud. Would you get real and would you get honest with each other? And then would you pray for each other? Storm calming prayers because you have the God who speaks to the wind and the wave like just a little kid. It's not that big of a deal to him. It's overwhelming. It's impossible to us, but it is not for our God. And would you get back to what's true about him? I want to leave you with this passage. It's Ephesians chapter three. You can flip over to there. And this is just my prayer as we close our time together for you. He's going to begin it this way. I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp How wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That is my prayer for you, Awakening Church, right now. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this uh, awakening midweek. See you next week, or actually I'll see you Sunday.